this one. Here we go. Welcome to Make Believe Money. I'm Liz. Why would she bleed that much out of that? <laughs> bit? Like. Make Believe Money. Make Believe I'm Dan. <laughs> Dan, what are we talking about today? Velvet Buzzsaw. That which thing is... that was probably in the cold open? Yeah, probably. It's a... What was it? How new is it, exactly? Pretty fresh. Two or three weeks. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, so on... spoilers ahead. Yeah, on Netflix. That's what I was going to ask. I have a lot of questions and feelings I want to share, but if we're going to try to go spoiler-free, this is going to be very no, difficult to do. I don't think it's we It's impossible. Can. Uh, spoiler warning, like, to the nth degree... Go watch it if you must. Um, if you're like anyone in America, you probably have access to Netflix to watch. Yeah, if you must, so you didn't watch like your it, cousin's huh? Netflix. I'm conflicted. I did not have an enjoyable experience. I think that it d- did not adhere to a lot of laws of horror movies that yeah. rubs That's me fair. the wrong way. We we and both I would, got it was mad about not it. particularly frightening in my opinion. No. no. Uh, just Megan does not like horror movies, so I told her I was watching this for the podcast, and she was like, well, I'm going to go do something else. And at the end, I was like, Meg, you would have been fine. Yeah, Even she absolutely would have been fine. Yeah, There's um, some suspense. There's a couple of like, yeah. And I will appreciate that they did not take the opportunity to jump scare you at a few times that I was like, oh, Megan wouldn't like this because they're about to do a jump scare, and then didn't. And I was like, okay, well played. But it was, The problem is it didn't feel like it was building every time. It felt like there was a couple of scenes, and then there was a valley for a while, and then there was a couple of scenes. Let's get into the plot. Yeah, we should do yeah. plot. Let's do then plot. I can ask some I, of my we questions. have some we have some specific feelings about that anyway. And I do like again, spoilers ahead. Yeah. It's fresh. It's on Netflix. You can watch Pause it right it, now. Go watch it. Go watch it. Come back to worth this. Worth a watch, I think. I think it's worth a watch. Yeah, like my complaints with it are mostly like genre related specific. I think it's a fine yes. movie that is a little messy in its landing. Well, that's the thing with Netflix is they can they can do a little gender bending on genres if they want because they don't have to like genre bending it's just called genre bending i know but i just (laughs) um because they don't have to like get you know a crowd because movie theaters right right, the action crowd comes out to this the rom-com comes out to this what have you when it's on netflix like it could be people are just surfing and you can get people out of their normal comfort zone every now and again and i feel like their whole thing is like we don't want to hit like every niche in itself like we want to capture three niches with this one movie so we've got the jake gyllenhaal crowd we've got the (laughs) final destination crowd and we've got the art crowd and the hamilton crowd oh yeah w diggs is in it so plot yes this movie is about uh, the high art world, uh, art dealers, and like how museums private buyers, specific to LA, also Miami. not specific. No, just at they're just well, at Art Basel in the beginning. It's it starts in Miami, but the majority of it happens in LA. in LA. Yeah, but there's this woman who is a like junior art dealer, and her neighbor dies, and in his apartment are like thousands of paintings. Hundreds of paintings, probably. It actually says about a thousand. About a thousand. When they yeah. do the sale, they're selling. She's asking how many they're going to sell, and they artificially hold some back, so they're selling so like just under five hundred. And she's like, "We have probably double that." And the woman's like, or she's like, 
why are we we're selling like five we have like a thousand the woman's like i doubt we have even half that number so you implied they're selling like 400 500 um to artificially inflate the price so that they can cash in when these other ones become discovered air yes, quotes right and she even says for on. a rainy day like so in other yeah. words they're gonna a previously undiscovered work of Vetral Deese, who is the artist's name, right. like in What's 10 years or whatever. Deese. Oh, yeah. We, Damon and I kept going Deez back. Nuts. And we were like, Deese paintings. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's a box that just says Deese 2 on it. <laughs> like, Deese 2. <laughs> Deese also paintings. Deez also. Um, but really, what happens is the, the lady discovers it, and her boss, Rene Russo, is like, These are mine now. We're going to sell them. Uh, and uh, everybody who buys them or interacts with them or is. The tiny Kay. girl from Stranger Things <laughs> uh, either dies at a creepy painting's hand or an unrelated piece of art's hand. There's all these like final destination sort of deaths. Yeah, it's implied he's like a crazy person and he painted them yeah, like, in evil. some of them in blood yeah. and like his evil inhabited them and he wanted them destroyed and since they didn't get destroyed, they're out for vengeance. Something to that effect. Yes. So here's my question. This is actually the question, the biggest question I had. What is the rule that gets you killed? That's, That's our problem. Okay, thank you. <laughs> I'm glad no, this bothered no, everybody else too. There's because no law to the at magic. At one point, uh, Gyllenhaal's character mentions like, "Cause we profited off of it," but it kills several people who have not. Not profited. Like the girl yeah. who gets killed by Sphere bought some but didn't profit off of it. No. The guy, the guy who wanted to market them but ne- like wound up not getting the showing, didn't profit off of them. No. Here, and, like, Malkovich saw some, but didn't wind up dying. Um, right. Even and though, Rene and Russo, like, D- gives Divi up. Diggs saw some and didn't, and didn't die. And didn't uh, Natalie Dreyer, is that the girl from Stranger Things? I think that's yes. her name, yeah. Nat- the Natalia, whatever her name is. Um, I think it's Natalia. Uh, Mike's sister. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, like, she sees them and doesn't die, so it's not just a seeing thing. Right. But, again, it can't be just a profit. It's... They establish what feels like a set of rules and then break and then them. break them immediately. And I don't and like it. And also, not everybody is murdered by, like, the painting. Like, the first guy gets, like, yanked into a painting of a bunch of monkeys. Yeah, but like, it's not, I don't it's think not by any him. of them are it's actually killed by these, these paintings. These paintings. <laughs> <laughs> the one guy is, like, hanged in an, oh, no, that art. No, that's an entire other yeah, it's a different exhibit. In yeah. fact, I don't think any of them are killed specifically. You, you, a, a couple of times, like, uh, these paintings, a couple these of times. These couple of times. <laughs> these couple of times. Like, a couple of them, like, reach out for people, but those are all, like, ooh, it's going to happen now, all misdirects. They right. are never well, actually killed directly by them. Ugh. You only see the. You only see Dee's paintings uh, behave <laughs> mystically. This is going to be oh, a fun episode. Oh, the Rene episode. Russo one? No, you only see Dee's paintings behave mystically in, like, a handful of instances, and it's only like they, like, they, like, turn to, like, look at the subject or of the like scene. Or like, a, a hand that comes out at Hall at one point, um, but yeah. it doesn't get him, and he, like, backs away. Yeah, and, like... And you see, like, the fire going on one... Um, the well, vi- the Dig ones sees in... one like crackling. Yeah. And the eyes follow yeah. a couple of times. There's a lot of, you know, turn heads turn and eyes open sort of things, but Yeah. But again, none of them are particularly aggressive. They're but, all killed by some other form of art. Yeah. There's no rule to the magic of the the horror subject. So it's like no one you're not sure why anybody would die. 
You're yeah. not sure yeah, how anybody like, should This die. is not a particularly good one, but like, it's not like a ring where, okay, if you see it, you die, and if you make a video, you don't. There's not like a Or clear... even like a Final Destination where like all these kids survived a plane crash that right. they should have been on. Yeah. Like, and they're going yeah. to die... It's just a matter of how. Right. Right. Like, that's it. So there's no anticipation building, except that you're like, this is a character we've been paying some attention to. I imagine they will die. But even without, like, an explanation of the magic of it, like, you don't understand the motivation. Like, if you if you give the paintings agency unto themselves, you don't understand their motivation. Because, like, if they are products of Deese, who is apparently, like, a troubled individual, but ultimately tried to destroy them, Right. In order to like keep them from keep the world. them from the world, like what like what is the malice that was like imbued into them? Right, you, you don't, don't get what's his motivation. It's goal. You don't get like, either impression. You don't get that either. They have taken his personality and are killing to stop themselves from spreading. And you don't get the impression, oh, he wanted to destroy them, but the evil in the paintings wants want to be to spread propagate. Yeah. and is trying to reach more people. Yeah. You just seems like it kills indiscriminately. Right. If you're around them too much. But Maybe. With a shitty opinion. Like, yeah, that's the whole thing. Cause oh, like, yeah, it is sort of Because, like, like, I think what they're trying to say is, like, Davi Diggs is, like, spared because he has, like, a pure art, like... You could make Goal. that argument because, like, Melkovich kind of is the same way. He's yeah. spared and, like, he knows his art has kind of run its course and, like, he gets and away. To, and he's going to, like, re- to rediscover himself. His joy. By like, spiraling on the beach during right. the credits. Yeah. Uh, but, like, <laughs> so, yeah, I guess maybe, like, the pursuit of true art, not for money, is part of what it. What spares you. Yeah. It does but sort it's of just seem not, like. It's the, not the, built. And if you're not going to explain it don't explain it right because they like did explain it and then promptly broke that rule like 10 minutes later and i was like what the shit yeah why did this girl die then the movie is the screenwriter saying art critics are dicks and they should all die yeah but with (laughs) no like with no but again they're not all actors they're all not all critics but they're like dealers like yeah like the art world is full of people who are full of shit and all those people who are full of shit should die but there's no like it's, it doesn't feel satisfying like a movie where there are, like, rules that you can follow along with is satisfying. Well, and they tried to do that because of it. They tried to do that thing that a lot of movies do that, like, hints at greater devastation at the end of it. Like, you've where, seen like, the end of the character's arc, but, like, this evil is now out in the world. When she's leaving in the taxi and, the and you see them, the homeless person yeah. is selling them because he found them in that car crash. Right. But, like, normally that's supposed to give you, like, a chill down the back of your spine, like, evil survives. But you don't know what it means. In the world. But that's what I'm saying. I was like, oh, interesting, but I didn't get that chill that I wanted because I'm like, right. so now is this homeless guy going to die? Are the people who bought it going right. to die? Are and they just, just... going to look at it for a while and then die? Like, yeah. what is going to happen to these people? And should I feel scared about it? Or what? Mostly, I just came away from this movie feeling really bad for the girl from Stranger Things because she witnessed which is so three many corpses. <laughs> yeah, she doesn't witness any of the deaths. I don't or, think, but well, she finds discovers the body. Well, yeah. and it's she is kind of like a gag because she she even says like I'll have to go back to mission if I don't get a job. Thankfully, I finally got a job, and then like every time she, her boss dies within like oh like three days of and her getting that job that the cops are never like we should take this small girl in for questioning <laughs> yeah she's yeah gonna... oh yeah what actually happens You've been after this the movie first ends one... is she goes to jail for 30 years for going on a killing spree when she moved to la yeah she either discovers or is the last person see- to see 
a dead person alive. A yeah, lot. Listen, wait, she's she's got to prove she has a very stalkerish boyfriend who kills anyone she comes in contact with, or else she's going to jail. I was kind of hoping there was going to be a like a real life twist about this in the end too. That like he, it's either a bunch of magic and it's all evil, or they're really being murdered by like some like Debbie Diggs maybe. Yeah, like, or D survived like yeah, and is coming and he was for like, people. He None like, of you read my will. Yeah, well, yeah, he like yeah, he came back to his apartment. It was all clean out and he's like i've got to kill everyone who did this right no one was supposed to see these but it's also like there's no there's just there's still like there's no rule to what it is like and even like cinematically they, they never set up like this is the thing to like watch like it's just any graven image is like a weapon Right. Because so you start to just anticipate that any character you know their name will die. Yeah, pretty much. And that's fine, but it doesn't send the kind of message that you're like looking for either with a like final destination y slasher movie or with like a critique of the art world. I feel like there should have been more it, it feel like it felt like it stopped short of its actual message too, because like Jake Gyllenhaal's character comes around and is like, Oh, I've been wrong this whole time. And he still gets murdered. And then they probably murder yeah. him. Yeah, and like... Yeah, and it's like, there because of that, like, you don't see, like, the moral action that negates the the malice. Right, you don't it. know why anybody like, would be spared. Yeah, like, you don't know, unless it just is, like, if you are pure in your relationship with art. Or like, you're from Michigan. Or you're from Michigan, like... Go blue, I guess. Um, <laughs> pure Michigan. Pure Michigan. Um... <laughs> Come visit Michigan. The only way you'll survive. <laughs> Have you seen a beast? <laughs> Come to Michigan. We promise. <laughs> yeah, like it just... We have warded off the ancient evils. <laughs> Michigan. Michigan. I do think that like Final Destination is a perfect like uh foil for this because like death is like a character with agency. Yeah. In it. Like and he may be a it, weird Rube Goldberg monster, but <laughs> at least you know. But you know, and like you can feel the presence of it when something is going to happen, and like when characters think they're, that they're safe, and again, you can it, tell that they're not. And it feels like there is a world with rules that you understand and can anticipate, yeah. right? Yeah. Which, as much as that's like, oh well, that's not scary. Pure chaos is ca- scary. It's like it's almost. N- in a, in a movie, right? In the real right. world, maybe that would be. But in a movie, you need a cause and effect. And there is no cause and effect here. There are effects yeah. seemingly without cause. Well, and that's the trick of it, too, is it's like it's right in between chaos and rules. Like, if it were chaos and they just all died because of, like... Yeah, if you could just... That's you, just watching tragedy happen. Yeah. But, I mean, like yeah, that. but if you blinked on a Tuesday, you got killed, it's like, well, that's random, but that's why it's evil, is it's just right, pure it's just random. Happening. But these yeah. people are all connected enough and connected to a subject that it appears to have rules. But then it doesn't. But then it either doesn't or we're never clued into them in such a way that it's just undefinable to the casual viewer. It seems like it's trying to hide the monster of the movie so hard that you don't know what to be afraid of. 
That said, there's some fun set pieces. Like that yeah. giant sphere thing that Tony Collette sticks her arm in is like real spooky. Like in the first place, I would not have stuck my arm in there. Not no. when I was alone there. No. No, not even if I was watching other people. Like my grandmother taught me many lessons, but the number one lesson she taught me was do not stick your arm in holes. It's <laughs> like a thing that has stuck with me for a very long time because she was a woman who once stuck a stick down a hole and a whole bunch of wasps ran after her. So she <laughs> has made it very clear. That's the kind of lesson you only learn once. Yes. Like, yep. she And from a grandmother, and to be honest. Don't put things down holes. <laughs> My sex life has been bad ever since. Ever since. Ah, <laughs> uh, uh, Grandma, thanks. But, <laughs> yeah, no, especially in a dark, creepy museum. I've just seen enough horror movies to be like, this isn't going to end well. This is well. not a smart especially choice. Especially when, like, she's the the third death or the second one. I believe she's, she's the, the second. second one. Yeah. Don Don dies. Also, I had a little bit, I understand why the movie did it, in, but, like, I had a little bit of, they needed to fix their rising tension because the characters they kill are the ones you kind of like the least and yeah. like mm-hmm. the ones that are least connected to D's too. So it, again, that kind of just played into my like, why, why? are they dying? No why stri- are we so mad at this guy who hasn't even like seen a D's painting? Right. Basically, <laughs> he <laughs> like, hasn't seen any of D's paintings. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it should have been the lady who found him first. Right. Yeah. Also, D should have died in a more interesting way than just on a collapsing. Yeah. Collapsing. Yeah. Also, if he really hated it that much and he thought he was that close to death, why was he burning them one by one in a fireplace? Like, just set, set your apartment, apartment on fire. fire. Like, yeah. Yeah. take some some lighter fluid, squeeze it on everything, light a, like, pull the fire alarm so everybody gets out, then light a damn match. He's an evil man. And not a smart one. Not a smart one. That was Bush Lee Garson. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, all that said, I do feel like it's worth watching. Like, it's yeah. fun and, like, neat to look at. And it's cool to like come out of a movie on the other side and have and these kind of opinions. Multiple of the actors do a, a a nice job. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not sure it's anybody's like powerhouse, but a lot of them do very turn in solid performances that make me care about the person. Yeah, I mean, in some way, whether that's love or hate, but I feel something. Jake Gyllenhaal's been doing a lot of really interesting stuff. I agree with Netflix, especially lately. Though, like, I I was into it. Well, I think this director in particular too just like gets how to use Jake Gyllenhaal. Did he? He's the Nightcrawler guy. Okay. Yeah. Nightcrawler was another movie where I was like, I'm not sure this movie said what it wanted to say. But I think that it, I think it said exactly what it wanted to say, though. Maybe I just didn't like it. No, and I I totally (laughs) just didn't like what it said. I didn't like what it said. No, (laughs) I totally get that, and I think you're valid for saying that. I think that it, like, it had kind of a twisted uh, take on, like, media in general, and, like, media and capitalism specifically, and it's just, hard because your point of view character is the villain right too right and we've which we've talked about is like an impossible <laughs> thing to uh not on the show but like we've talked about that before like that's an impossible thing to accomplish right in if a movie. you want some if you want the villain to be the center of your story um you necessarily have to make them the protagonist but they so clearly make his his assistant the protagonist right. at a certain point and that's what like works anyway Back to Velvet Buzzsaw. Back to this, because I have not seen that. No, it's okay. I don't know what's happening. The whole thing of it is, is like, if you you make the main character of your story a villain, you either have to have a a person who functions as an audience analog, like, right next to them, or you are saying you agree with them, in a way. Like, it's really tricky to make it. Or you have to do a villain right, which is nobody thinks they're a villain. Right. right? You have to be very clear in why they think what they're doing is right. And you, you have to get the audience to buy in enough to 
buy in, if not agree. Right. You know what I mean? Well, I think that's just, I'm and watching this series right now. that's a hard line to right it otherwise now. implies that you agree with them. Yes. Right? I'm watching this series right now called You, um, which was on Lifetime, Netflix. I think. Um, it's it was on Netflix. On Netflix. Now, it was on Lifetime originally, but but no, it's, it's like yeah. Penn Badgley plays this character who is a, a stalker who like becomes obsessed with this oh, woman. I've seen this. I haven't yeah. watched it yet, but I've it's, seen like ads on Netflix for it. It's yeah. really good. It's and it subverts a lot of that because it like there's like a whole scene I just watched recently where like he's watching someone else stalk the girl he's stalking and like he's not supposed to be where he is and like you hear his inner monologue the whole time and he's like this person's horrible. How would they dare do this to you? And you just like you start to sympathize with him and then they like twist it just a little bit and you're like ooh gross what have I been doing like he's the, the bad guy okay. Dexter but actually where they consider what they're guy. doing instead of just like yeah I mean like he I mean, doesn't Dexter even have anything like, what a interesting concept but they right. didn't actually explore some of the more challenging things I think they could that have. and he's like supposed to be like he just murders bad guys but this guy like but again they could have made that interesting in a way that instead they just went, well, it's okay because they're It's okay because they're bad. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, well, that, okay. And in this case, he's like, gray. he's a stalker. He's very bad. He's done very bad things before we even meet him. And like throughout the, the show, you're like, you start to like him and you feel like he's kind of chill. Like, you're like, oh, he's a romantic hero. And then you like get one second where you look at it another way and you're like, oh, right, he's the bad guy. This is gross. And, like, you feel icky for thinking it was cool. And I feel like all of that to say, Nightcrawler kind of does that. Um, and Velvet Buzzsaw doesn't have a clear audience analog to give the bad guys, like, that perspective. Well, like, Jake Gyllenhaal straddles that because he's supposed to be both the... He's both part of the villainous outfit, but... Also, has a the audience yeah. analog who's like exploring this with you, right? Um, but it, and not I don't think that like every horror movie needs to moralize in this way, but I think it also suffers from like there's no final girl with it. Like, yeah, I mean, there's no person who like sees the evil, like in clear sight. You know, most horror movies, if not all, are a moral story of some kind. Yeah. Like, and I definitely think this is a moral. Sex always die first. Right. Well, I definitely think this. After the black guy, Sex sorry. is bad. And so is being black. <laughs> I mean, uh, you could argue that's what horror movies are oh, saying. No. <laughs> um, Why does the person who studies the paintings live? Sorry. Off right? topic. You guys were talking about something much more deeply, but again, I well, just no, don't but understand that's the thing. who gets killed. Like, yeah, there's, there's no reason. There's no rhyme or reason. And like, and you can't know how to, like, there's no moral judgment there either, other than like. Well, and I think like it's hokey and I don't particularly care for it, but I do think it is something about like, it has to do with like the sincerity of your relationship with art. Like, mm-hmm. um, the one guy, like the, the art handler who gets murdered first, like he's super envious of this art and like is like clearly utilizing art as like a means for like sex and fame and everything. Right. And then like all of the art dealers are trash and like (laughs) even like Jake Gyllenhaal is really the piece that like doesn't fit because like, I think that he does. Well, but to start he like, no, never mind. I was going to say. Because he thinks he is doing a good thing. And he, he could argue he is or he isn't because he's, what they, the kind of the argument they make back and forth against and for him is that he is callous and is so blinded by being true to the art and the critique that he doesn't think about the human cost of that. Because right. Because mm-hmm. like he talks about how he's ruined some people's lives with right. bad reviews. 
That but might be it. Is on it the like, other hand, he isn't the... I mean, there's a lot of implication and expectation by people that he is getting paid to review, and he right, staunchly he and adamantly does not do that. So he is, in his mind, a true purveyor and reviewer of art in the way that he sees it and is honest with that. But he, create, he does one sin of that, is when he trashes the lead woman's ex-boyfriend's exhibit, yeah. and he... Oh hurts himself. That's his sin that he's punished for and the whole thing clicks together for me now. Oh, that because like, he broke from his line of He broke do what his you he broke his moral line and that is the difference between him surviving and dying. Not Dobby Diggs. No. Not Dobby Diggs. Oh. This is an unseen character. Oh, like yes. from earlier. But if you remember Jake Gyllenhaal, he's getting with the girl who found the paintings yes. and she hates her ex-boyfriend and tells him to go pan his right thing and then when they're fighting later he's like I liked it. And I, oh, right. for you, yeah. I destroyed this person's basically career. And you're another, that he's like the art critic, like right, when right. and you're in yeah. the one that you listen. Yeah, to. if he if he doesn't review it, you're dead on arrival. And it's a throwaway line. I forget when it happens, but a woman, an unnamed woman, does say that that guy, like, hurt himself, drank himself, nearly drank himself to death, and got into a car wreck. Yes, and gets when they were coma. like, yeah, like because he says something flippant about it, and the lady's like, "Really? That's in bad taste." And like, I don't even think that's it. that guy. I actually think it's a different. I think it's the hobo man one that he. I don't know, but the point is, yes, it is implied that yeah. he hurts oh, people hobo with negative one. reviews, and that at least once, and actually, this is the only time, seemingly he, to your point, Damon. Yeah, I guess that helps me a little bit. It does. That, that is where he broke his moral code, and therefore is worthy of punishment. Yeah, could have been more. Obvious. Yeah, I think that. I think in the director's mind, I hate authorial intent, but I think this is what he's going for. That like, if I think if Jake Gyllenhaal doesn't do that one action, he survives the end of the movie. Sure. Like, I genuinely believe that now. So. His butt's nice in this movie. That head cannon can help. I think that helps me like a yeah. little more. Yeah, because that's like the only like law that I can put on it based off of the two named characters we see survive. And right. by that, and by that token, then everyone who dies has done something unethical yeah specifically in relationship to the art world yeah. and ever in life anyone you know who's died well. did something wrong <laughs> yeah i mean but yes specifically in <laughs> that's also true but like <laughs> uh dang okay so this is and a that's really also why the, the little lady survives too because she's just never given the opportunity to, <laughs> to do, do anything evil. Like, she doesn't work at any one job long enough <laughs> to, to like have any kind of influence evil. Oh, that poor little lady. <laughs> okay, since we went really deep. Ratings? Super fast ratings, yeah. Uh, I think we're probably going to... I mean, that kind of right speaks th- for itself. Like, I would give myself an eight. I just saw it. It's all there is to it. Like, I, I was I literally going to say, say seven it. or eight because I've seen it. Most of the world hasn't. I've only seen it once, but it's been out for three weeks, and there's nothing else around it. There's no yeah. book. There's no series. There's no nothing. Eight's all around. Perfect. Oh. Eight's all around. Eight's all around. All right, tell me what the money is. Yes, so there's a number of things we can do, but I think the the most interesting and funny one, so Gretchen, that's a character I'm going to use a lot um, because we're going to talk about the money. She's the one who puts her arm in the sphere and gets it. Tony Collette. Eyes. Okay. Tony Collette as an actress. So okay. just for people who have not as good as you guys as actors, Gretchen in the movie, Tony Collette, for those who would like to do it by actress. Um, she starts this movie working for a museum and then sells out to be a private buyer for somebody with a significant amount of money. Sure. Is mm-hmm. what you are implied, and she she is their art um, consultant, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so it's helping them buy pieces that will appreciate in value over time and bring them prestige and blah 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 blah. 
this movie unintentionally implies that her buyer is an incredible philanthropist. Go on. So, I will get there. Let me first also, just a few things that are worth noting, because I think we have to, uh, I need to lay this groundwork, because I'll get there. They have a, they say they have a thousand pieces of D's art. Um, so much of D's. They have about a thousand of D's paintings. Uh, they say they're going to sell somewhat less than half that numbers, give or take. So I say they sell 500. They say it's an eight-figure collection, so that means somewhere between 10 million and 99 million. Wow. Um, that's what eight figures means. Sure. Uh, which means the paintings, on average, and obviously they wouldn't be all priced the same, but on average are send, selling somewhere between twenty thousand and one hundred ninety-eight thousand per painting, depending on whether it's a ten thousand, ten million dollar, or a ninety-nine million. You show um, us a weird, creepy painter who painted in blood. He's dead. He didn't see any of that money. What are you talking about? I wish I was like a dealer painters. who found a weird, creepy painter. There who you go. Blood. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, she got implied she lives a very nice life by for, uh, for a about, minute. Yeah, for about yeah. a week. And then she's swallowed by a mural. Yeah. yeah. That also... That was why? the worst death. I yeah. hated that one. That bothered me because it implies that it made that gallery. Like, because it wasn't there. Yeah, it and wasn't then, like, there. Like, the truck drives away and it's there. Yeah. Like, you could have just had street art do her in the exact same way as you had it. Exactly. But, like, not... Why like did this she weird walk dreamscape into... thing? Like yeah. I, that and one was no the worst. There's no way death. that she would have turned around and been like, "A gallery? I'll go in here." And yeah. like walked when into then that. there was no one in there and was like, "This is probably totally normal." Right? Yeah. Yeah. Hers was by far the weakest of the deaths. A cool concept, poorly run out. I mean, I loved that last scene of like her in it, but again, yeah. you could have just had street art do that, exactly. or any other thing like that was already there. Yeah, having her being eaten by more sincere art would have been a way cooler thing. I Even think like technically it would have been very hobo art on the fence. Like have her just standing near that fence and have that come out and get her. Yeah. Yeah. Hobo art. Um, I think technically it might have been difficult because I imagine that is an incredible green screen rotoscope job. I mean, and they yeah. need it. They you need, need her in as brightly a colored room <laughs> as possible. Because if you're trying to do that in front of a tree that or something. And a brick texture, it. too much. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, probably true. Uh, and it was cool. It just... I it like the, like, like paint climbing her leg. But. The the movie's, like, opinion on, like, what counts as, like, a qualifying, like, image and or piece of art in order to do the murder is weird because when Rene Russo, like, throws everything out at the end, like, she still has a house. Like... Yeah. Yeah. And, like, like an architectural house. Yeah. Like, yeah, not like, just a home, but, like... Art a beautiful art, house. Yeah. Right? Like, where is that line? Yeah. And then she's murdered by her own tattoo. Mm-hmm. A real shitty neck tattoo. Yeah. I do think there'd be enough blood, though, because if it went straight through, it would probably go through, like, your carotid, it would carotid yeah. and then, like, maybe even into the upper chest. All that to that say, angle. this movie should not have been called Velvet Buzzsaw, no, because Velvet they, Buzzsaw is just the name of Renee Russo's old band. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. in three times it's mentioned. I think they, like, in rolled ever. some word dice and were like, well, let's make a movie. We're going to call it Velvet Buzzsaw. Fuck. We got to write that in somehow now. There, there was the word bat in there too, and we were like, I don't know, <laughs> Buzzsaw's the only one I can think of. <laughs> I like Buzzsaw better. Okay, so here's so, let me make 20 my argument. to 190. Okay, let me make my argument now for uh, Tony Collette's boss being an incredible philanthropist. Warren Buffett, uh, or Bill Gates, or oh, any sure, number sure. of people. Yeah. She buys two pieces of D's art. Um, and these two paintings. It's these two, two paintings. paintings. This is never not going to be funny. Yeah, I'm, gonna enjoy I'm it so time. sorry for our listeners. <laughs> yeah, this is this is rough. When you name your fictional artist Dees, yeah. <laughs> let's be clear: this show is not for you. No. Like, <laughs> if you 
can't. Yeah, we have a good time here. Yeah. We do. You don't. This is not for you. <laughs> Thanks um, for being around. And so she goes to the museum that, um, and she also buys Sphere for $7 million. So she it's has. A, a movie not worth that much. Yeah, correct. <laughs> um, better book. But anyway, um, <laughs> she goes to the museum she used to work with and is like, hey, I have these two paintings. I can get you these 10 more paintings uh, on loan from other people. And I want you to display them, make a little exhibit out of it. And I'll also put Sphere in there. And then uh, the artist that did Sphere, she's like, and then later on you can transition that into a gallery for that artist. Sure. Um, Unless you want on. 10 more of these. Yeah. Go on, Damon. Really quick. Why do her contacts at that museum have to be two separate characters? Great question. Like, they have yeah. one line between they them. They have one right? line between the two of them. But they they just felt that they, there had to be three characters for blocking yeah, in that in scene. Tandem. Even though two of them stand directly next to each other the entire time. <laughs> I don't a, understand. It's a beautiful movie. It doesn't make a lot of sense. I have, uh, I think, I would guess one of two things. They either felt like they needed more minority characters because they, well, I guess they had two, but like, they just felt like they needed to put that There's one in like there. There's only like 10 named characters or in the whole thing. Too. they were just happy with her, and that guy seemed like the bigger stretch. So my guess is he was like somebody's uncle, and they were <laughs> like, sure, you can be in this movie. I wonder if there's like a cut scene on the floor where he's got like a real... Like, Heart yeah. reason. Like he's got a name. I mean, she. it seemed like he was maybe her boss, so maybe they had it out at some point. But anyway, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to roll, so I'm going to keep going. Good. Please. Um, and they're like... We don't really have the space to show these paintings right now. We'd love to, these though, paintings. because... These paintings right now. <laughs> Thank you, David, for catching that. We'd love to, though, because this is, a, you know, an a exploding artist. Everybody's hearing about him, so uh, let we'll do it in the future. And she's like, no, it has to happen right now. She's very insistent about that. Um, and she says, I need to get them shown for a quote-unquote tax issue. That's what she said. Okay. These need to be shown taxes for d's taxes for d's taxes um get a load of these taxes so the ta- the way the tax code works get, getting a lot of tax episodes <laughs> everybody enjoy tax 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 They're it's that time of year it's that time of the season d's the season if you donate something that can appreciate in value like art you can take a charitable deduction go for that oh. Oh. okay um however as with most things that are tax-based, there has to be transfer of ownership. So simply lending your art to a museum to show does not count as a charitable deduction. It's a good thing oh. to do because then, you know, more people than you can see this beautiful art. It's out there in the world. And it can be good for you financially because if it brings the artist some renown, then your painting is worth more than when you lent it to the museum, et cetera, et cetera. But However... If they do not have the ownership of it and the right, or the right to take ownership of it, it is not a charitable deduction. I did not know that. Because there you know, go all of my plans. Same thing with if you offer to rent space you own to a nonprofit for below market rates or for free, even you don't get a charitable deduction to let them use your space. They don't own it. You can change that at any time. It's not that. I mean, there are things you can do for charities. Sure. You give them money, and you could let them do that to be nice, but it's not a charitable deduction. Sure. So it changes all my plans. <laughs> but you can partially gift art to a museum. What does that mean and look like? You give them a percentage of the art, and then they have to be able to show it for whatever percentage they own. 
So if you give them a quarter of the art for three months out of the year, they have to be able to show it. So if you're incredibly rich, uh, you summer in Aspen. Obviously. And you live in New York. You give it to a museum in New York for six months out of the year. I feel like I would winter in Aspen. And then you, whatever. That (laughs) that makes more sense, but you get my idea. Whenever you're gone, you can let the museum use it, but they have to be using it for the percentage of the time that they own it. Does that make sense? So this is like, they they have to for you to be able to deduct it, or they have to for them to be able to keep using it, or both? They, so, it's kind of complicated, but for you to take the deduction, Uh they have to be, they have to own it for the percentage that they own it, basically. Now, to be clear, like a timeshare, if they choose not to take it, but could, you can still take the deduction. Okay. Oh, okay. So, like, if I donated my Van Gogh to a museum, you shouldn't. It's so pretty. I know. I <laughs> and it looks great in my hallway. But uh, and I donated now, and they said we're not going to take it for two years because we want to build an exhibit around it, and we're budget tight right now, and it costs a significant amount of money to insure, uh, given what it's made out of or its value or whatever. So we're not taking it for two years till all this gets settled. But they like I can take my charitable could. deduction because any day they could show up and take it. Okay. And okay. I, like I can't stop them. They own it in full. I we signed all the paperwork. They're just the fact that I get to keep using it is a nice thing that they're doing while they figure out logistics. Sure, but that then painting's I, not I yours anymore. But if I tell them, hey, in two years it's yours, come get it anytime, but you can't get it for the next two years. I cannot get my charitable deduction because they can't use it for the purpose that they have. Interesting. So this really is like a painting timeshare. Like, yeah, pretty much. Okay. The other thing is that, uh, to get a ter- charitable deduction for things like this, it has to be what's called related use. Okay. So you can't give a painting to an animal shelter, even if it's extremely valuable, Sure. and get a deduction because it makes no sense how that gives them any value. I mean, sure. in theory, they could sell it, but it's not so fungible that they're going to let you do that. Okay. Um, Again, you could donate, you know, dog food and write that off because it's something that they can use that you purchased and has a value, but you can't, uh, paintings would only really be to like 501c3 art-based organizations. Sure, something sure. that makes sense and you could, And you could maybe say like a, a organization that teaches kids art that can then put it somewhere and use it as inspiration or something. Like you could get that sort of thing, but you couldn't, you would have to be able to argue it's related to the charities purpose sure. basically sure that all okay. makes sense so far so. that tracks yeah okay that being said you can only deduct certain amounts of what you give charitably right and you can only deduct them differently for different types of things you give okay which is i know kind of complicated i'm not going to go into every oh, rule yeah. stick to the but the point is, this is what's called a capital gain property, mm-hmm. which is what I talked about. Basically, it can be worth more than what you originally purchased it for. So you can purchase it for $100,000, and it can be worth 200000 by the time you sell it. It can have a capital gain, which just means mm-hmm. it, it goes up in value. Um, I was going to say, I feel like my TurboTax asks me every year if I have such a thing, and I laugh. Well, stocks are capital gains. Oh, that's fair. So like, if you buy a stock at $10 and it goes up to 20 you have a capital gain on that stock. That's fair. So this is the same type of thing. Stocks are the most common, but this is the same type of thing in that it's somewhat of a speculative, not stocks aren't really speculative in the long term, but you get the idea mm-hmm. that it gains value. And the, the key there is also it gains value without throwing off cash. 
Mm-hmm. So it's not like when your artwork goes from being worth 100,000 to 110, you get 10 grand. And then when it goes to 120, you get another 10 grand. It's not a gain until you choose to turn it into cash in some way or another or value. Okay. So in those situations where you donate a capital gain property to charity, you have two options. You can either donate it at the fair market value and you get a 30% deduction. Okay. So if I bought it for $100,000, it's gone up to $200,000 and then I donate it at $200,000 because I did it at its current market value, I can deduct 30% of that. So I can deduct $60,000 on my taxes. Nice. Okay. That makes sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or you can donate it at tax basis, which is what you bought it for. And because you're valuing it less, you get a 50% deduction. Ooh. So I donate a $200,000 painting that I bought at $100,000, but I write it off at $100,000, and I can take $50,000, which in that case is actually less mm-hmm. than the 60, yeah. right? But it depends on the appreciation. If it had been worth 150, I could have wrote, not writ off 50%, and I made the math hard on myself to do 30% of <laughs> 175, but it would have been less. You get the idea. Like, yeah. The point is, you have to kind of do the math, get an appraisal, and decide which deduction makes the most sense for you, and there can be other reasons to do this or that, but those are your options. Sure. Either you can donate it at 30% of what uh, it's worth, or 50% of what you bought it for. Okay. That all makes sense so far? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So here's the final leg of my argument, then. Give me it. Since just showing it in a museum does not get you a tax write-off... Whoever this, whoever Gretchen is buying for would have to be giving the museum some or all of the artwork. Sure. Otherwise, there would be no tax issue because they wouldn't get a tax deduction. Okay. Track so far? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And since they just bought it, in theory, the fair market value has not gone up much, if at all. Sure. Right. So they're probably donating it at tax basis and taking a 50% deduction right makes sense so that means they just bought it and they're immediately turning around and donating it for a 50 percent of that tax deduction so they're losing 50 percent yeah okay there's no good tax reason to do this basically right like Uh you don't come out on top you'd be better off just either giving money to charity Or or donating some past piece of art that is appreciated significantly or yada yada it's basically me just saying hey damon give me a dollar i'm gonna go buy a cup and then i'm gonna give it back to a charity and take 50 cents off like it's a weird way to spend like, money why did you to deduct that? 50 cents we could have just either given the 50 cents of charity or like and again it still had 50 cents <laughs> right like so i mean it's possible that you wanted to show it part of the time in your house but it's still like it really implies the only logical explanation i can think of to to do this is that this is a person who wants to help a museum for no show reason art other than that but instead of just giving the museum money because they don't trust them to use it correctly they're afraid they'll blow it or use it on bad art or use it administratively you just buy it and give it to the museum huh which is huh. implying to me that this person is just a big old philanthropist d's in disguise that she's buying for Interesting. Yeah, that doesn't make any sense. Correct. It doesn't track because I'm also like that movie led me to believe that she was working for just the shadiest damn person in the world. Oh, I agree. That's what I'm saying. That that that's my argument that the screenwriters 
used tax issues as our classic screenwriter wave the hand. These we are not the droids you're looking for. This is how we get her in the museum alone at night with the thing that's going to kill her. Yeah. yeah. So this is how we do it. Because if you actually, from a money perspective, analyze what she just said, what she just said is, my buyer is incredibly philanthropist, <laughs> is an con- incredible philanthropist, and he's trying to give you this art for... To throw away half the value of to it. To throw away half the value of it for him. Let him do this. My, my buyer uh-huh. is desperate to make a poor financial decision. Yes, let them do this. <laughs> uh, okay, Tony Collette, whatever. Well, that's... That's very interesting and something I was thinking about when like when I asked if we could do this topic. So thank you for looking into that because that's So yeah, just to get to the math, sorry real quick. No, no, yeah. Assuming um I think I assumed the middle number. Yeah, I assumed the middle number between the 10,000 or the 10 million. No, hold on, sorry. What was it? 20,000 20, for painting and the 200,000 for painting. Assuming they bought sphere for 7 million and 2D's Two of these paintings for about 109 each was about the average. <laughs> they would have, to- in total, uh, spent... Uh, they would have been able... Sorry, they would have spent a little over about 7200000 They would have been able to deduct about $3.7 And then that only would have... If they were in the highest tax bracket of 30%, 37%, would have only been able to cut out... Um, about 1.3 million. So they spend a little over seven to cut their taxes by 1.3. So they get about an 18% of their value back in tax savings. Is there, so it really just doesn't make sense. I was going to say, is there any world in which, I mean, I guess like, <sighs> yes, if you're donating, there is world. Yeah. One, you are an actual philanthropist, but later, generally later after you've bought art and it's appreciated significantly. Sure. Because then you can take a much bigger deduction. Sure. Right? Because it's appreciated more significantly. Or if you're getting near the end of your life and you don't have anybody who wants it and you're worried, or your kids want money but not that, and you're worried about estate tax, like if your total estate is over the limit, you could donate oh. some of your art, take a charitable deduction, get your estate under that limit, give your kids okay. money that doesn't then get taxed. I mean, there are definitely like, complex that's what I was reasons like, for ultra high why net would worth you people. Do that? Um, to do this, mm-hmm. but maybe to not buy this way. It and turn around and do it five minutes later. Yeah, really doesn't make sense. And there are also people who are so wealthy that they just let museums show their art because they either don't have a place for it or they want it to the artist to become appreciated and go up in value. Yeah, that's fair. The museum is in charge of keeping it, restoring it, ensuring yeah, it, all these other things. But these people would not be doing it for a quote-unquote tax reason because right. letting them show it would not get them any tax advantage. Right. Now then maybe at the toward the end of their life they might say, okay, museum, do you now want it? And now I'll take the tax deduction. But like just letting a museum show it doesn't get you any tax benefit. It's not until you gift them some or all of it. Huh. Hmm. This so, is making me think a lot too about then how museums get art like – and what gets chosen to be shown. Well, you also have to be careful on how you write the contract. There's a lot of... So there's been issues before where people let a museum show it. The museum takes it on the road, takes it to the place where it was originally from, and then it gets confiscated by, by like, the, a populist government who says, you, you, you stole conquistadores this. came in here and stole our culture. Which sure. is, A, probably yeah. fair, but then that person's kind of SOL, which actually hurts the 
museum because the museum's the one who has it insured, but then it depends on you get specialized insurance for high art and does that sort of thing get covered or not. Didn't they make that whole movie whole with thing. Helen Mirren about that Klimt painting? Yeah. Woman in gold. <clears throat> that's like a that's like a Holocaust like it was like a stolen of from war. yeah. And but like, I mean there are things like that too, yeah. right? Yeah. Where this person you show it, you have it go to France and then someone says, Well, the Nazis actually took it from my family and then So this belongs to us. Yes, and then there can you prove chain of ownership and it, it can be a whole thing. So you have to be careful on who you give it to. And if you got and a war crime they, in your chain of ownership. Yeah, if they but I mean, again, it might not be your fault. You might have bought it six generations after the war crime or hundreds of years after the war crime. But sure. you still but still have to be careful about what museum you give it to and whether you let them take it on the road and what that could mean if it goes to some place where a government just says, actually, this is it's ours. our cultural heritage. We're taking it, which, again, may be fair. But if you're the rich person... Sucks for you. Yeah, not your best look. No. That's very interesting. It's making me think of that major gift that the Art Institute got re- or a couple of years ago, I guess. Yeah. And like part of the contract for that was that they have to display it for, for 50, 50 years. years. So I wonder if that's some, some sort of like shared ownership thing. In which case... like. That's like fifty years of guaranteed like tax deduction. Tax deductions, right? It was someone I don't think so. I think once you give the painting, it's theirs. Sure. Like you no longer get Well, assuming that it's like an out and out donation, right? Unless yes. if it's like a... Well, I think it might have been an out and out donation because didn't it come from a collection of someone who was like very old? It might have been. I would have to read up on it right Again, now. But I, like the also, the time stipulation just struck me as like when you donate a piece of art, even if you just let them show it, even if it's not a donation, you can write all sorts of crazy things under the contract. Oh. Red M and M's forever. I mean, you just have to. I mean, as long as it's legal, you can do whatever you want. Um, but the actual deduction, like you don't get to deduct what they make from showing it into the perpetuity. It's just the value of the art at the time. Sure. Okay. But again, I will say the tax law around here, first of all, it's made up, to be clear. <laughs> Every time we talk about taxes, I'm going to resp- remind that this is Big all Big old up. asterisk. Uh, but also, it's very complex when you get to the super ultra high net worth that would be doing this sort of thing. So if you truly wanted to do this for those... M- 10 plus millionaires who listen to our show. Um, and if you're a 10 plus millionaire, all, sponsor us. yeah, I was going to say, send us some money. I'll get 501c3. Uh, I'll do it. Yeah, done if, if that's what. Uh, I've done it before. I'll do it again. Yeah. Just give me the money. <laughs> uh, but also, like, y- you would have a very specialized CPA, lawyer, combo team, probably financial advisor as well, all advising you on this strategy to make sure that you've got the most out of it, both in terms of your charitable deduction and value, but also in terms of what you want, right? Like most people don't know that you can just go to the museum and say, I'll give this to you, but only if you show it for 50 years. And if they say no, you just don't give it to them. And most of the time they'll probably say yes. And as long as that's written in a contract that either a law firm or family is keeping up with that could sue them in case of breach of contract, they're going to do it. Right. Okay. So that's cool. So, so that's almost like a, a ripcord then of like if the museum goes back on it, all of a sudden you have your art and your... Yeah, I don't know if you would just get monetarily compensated, but you could probably write in the contract that we repo it if you 
breach this contract. I mean, you if can you're do not that. Showing you can do that for other things, again. right? That's why everyone and anyone who's ever cut a tag off their mattress, their mattress magically disappears back to the factory it came from. Well, no, the men come in the middle of the night. Yeah. and you just wake up on the bed springs. <laughs> like, I gotta say, it's very traumatic, and I've been sleeping on the floor for three years. <laughs> uh, so this makes me think. It's probably the least profitable in this like chain of stuff to actually be the artist. Generally, it seems like. Well, in this case, yes, he's dead. Well, yes, he's dead. <laughs> but like, in yeah. if you were like Davy Diggs, for instance, in this movie, like you, you stand to make the least amount of large amounts of money off yes. of all of this. Yes. Because they're gonna swap your paintings back in around. In theory, actually, it's the broker. Who makes Be- the least amount? Because they only make a percentage of what you sell. Sure. So you, they actually make the least with the artist making the second least. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, the thing about art, for a lot of cases, it's it's all about timing. And so that's why, in many cases, art's really not that valuable until the artist is dead, right? And then there's a scarcity. So yeah. they told me every day in art school. But, I mean, you got to be careful, right? In theory... If I buy a G.I. Joe, the only G.I. Joe ever made, it's valuable. But if they can crank off a million a year, they're not. So, like, when an artist is still alive, buying their art is somewhat of a risk because what if they produce better in the future? Right. Or, or they lots. produce a ton more yeah. or they change their style and they become known for the other style that they do, right? Like, so there is some hedging your bets there when you're buying art from a live artist. Um, this is making me think about there's a whole. I think it's a David Sedaris story about how his parents became like art collectors for a while, but they were like collecting painters no one had ever heard of. And they were like, not a big deal. They were just like going to these like art markets and like (laughs) they were connoisseurs of these like low level community painters. And they're like, yes, we've got a Johnson and an O'Neill on the wall. And everybody's like, who the hell is that? (laughs) (laughs) But they are like, they loved it. Like, I think that's, uh, if you're gonna if you're gonna collect art, probably start with an appreciation of the art in the first place. Other thing worth knowing, there's a huge art bubble right now. Uh oh. Especially in modern art. Okay. Prices go Watch out on your art mortgage. Crazy amounts to the point where people think they're not worth what they're getting paid for. Mainly because of a huge influx of uh, money from Asia. As Interesting. more and more Asian countries get wealthier, you get more and more individually wealthy people there who want to live up to Western standards and so they I mean, Crazy Rich Asians is kind of like an example of, like, an extension of that, where, mm-hmm. like, but it's in one of the ways they think that you do that is by buying art, so. And blaming um, Jeff Koons. It's been a huge influx in, in Chinese art buyers that is pushing up the prices of art everywhere <laughs> to the point where they think a lot of the art that's being sold now is not going to be worth what it's being bought for now, 20 years from now. That and actually a lot of uh, Russian oligarchs as well. <laughs> oh, boy. Felix Salmon is a guy who does um, financial commentary, but he's a very erudite guy, um, so he talks a lot about wine and art, too, and he's a pretty decent Twitter follow if you if like you tweet. the strange combinations of things that I like, which is financial analysis peppered with real-world implications. He talks a lot about charity, too. Well, and if like you listen to this podcast. How to maximize charitable deductions like using the current economic system. It's very interesting. Felix Salmon? Felix Salmon. Okay. He's a good podcast, too, called Slate Money. Oh, okay. I know of him. Or of the podcast, anyway. Man. Art, though, right? Yeah. Smith's it's a racket. It's a racket. Yeah. <laughs> we should all skip it. Like all things, it's worth what you're willing to pay for it. But, like, 
more so. Yeah. Yeah. Literally. Like, for real. I am thinking about every, like, Russian oligarch who has, like, one of those Jeff Koons uh, balloon animal dogs. In their front lawn. In their front lawn. Felix Salmon's uh, Twitter the other day, and somebody, some Russian oligarch apparently bought some painting for, like, 20 million because he thought it'd be a good investment and still packaged up in his house. Never took it out of the box when he got back. And loses half its value as soon as you take it out of the box. <laughs> you take it out of the lo- Ooh. Ooh, last thing because I don't want to run long again. Okay. Jake Gyllenhaal, they did a bad job with. There's one thing in this movie they did a very bad job with with nothing else. <laughs> he goes to put D's paintings in his storage unit. Uh-huh. He has just. A storage unit? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And they like- he is a professional art critic who presumably his paintings he owns are of significant value. Those are temperature controlled. Yes. Those are because they're insured in a certain way. They have to be maintained that way. They are in a place that has high security. We were I, thinking the same I've thing been, about those, the car that's like taking the ones they're pretending they don't have away. They're just yes. leaning against each protect, other in boxes. There are services that do this. I mean, literally because if you donate art to a museum, normally you write in the contract that they send out a professional service to appraise it, to take the quality of it, to pack it, to unpack it, to then redo that quality assessment to like it, like all this, and he just goes to like a like one eight hundred storage. Yeah, to I've like been put in paintings that will that he thinks will someday be worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. Like absolutely not. No, I've been in the cold storage of a small, like not a super small, but like a a small to medium regional like art as like a secondary focus museum Mm -hmm. and it looks like something out of 2001 a space odyssey like it is not a storage locker it wasn't to that degree but it was like it was a completely stark white like climate controlled space admittedly in like a larger general like uh cargo facility sure but like it was was, like special special for yeah i'm not saying he would have the hyperbolic chamber like put your arm in those like weird contagion things right like he would not have he would have something temperature controlled and they wouldn't be laying on top yeah they wouldn't all be be stacked on top of each other in cardboard boxes with permanent marker marking out what they are d's and d's too (laughs) but i mean they have another one behind it that you can actually see when he's yeah he's like one of the other made up artists yeah that's like you know melvin yeah. Melvin's the ocean like 72 or something and I'm like Ugh. yeah no you don't have something that's known that colloquially in the art world in like a box oh yeah <laughs> when I was done moving I broke down a few of my cardboard boxes and taped them around this painting <laughs> oh like, god I saw that and I was like what in the fuck is this I know the things that they get right are very interesting and then the things that they get wrong are like Dude. I mean I'm sure it's they didn't want to build a set for one scene when they could have instead of gone to a 1-800 storage and said, hey, can we rent you out for 24 hours days and film this? But it's still bonkers to me that they thought that was acceptable. Acceptable way to store a painting. I imagine that the, like, uh, climate-controlled, like, uh, uh, space-age storage unit is a lot less, or scary in a different way than the the dark. But I do agree. Like, Like, that one's always lit, and there's no, like, what's that sound coming from around the corner where that one is more of a, oh, I can see everything in the bright light. It's a whole big room. Well, I don't know. 
Now that you say that, how how creepy would it be if that hobo robot was just coming at you in a bright, big, wide room you can't go anywhere in? Well, I mean, they could have done something creepy if you're in that thing, but because they don't have much light because it's always lit, just the power goes out. Yeah. Like, oh, oh, that's yeah. fucking scary as hell. Oh, I like that. Anyway, this movie could have done a better job. Um, there's it, wasn't, a, it was worth a watch. It's worth a watch. It's we fun. fixed it, remember? We did. We fixed yeah. it. Well, if also, you listen if to this podcast, here, we fixed it. It's not it. worth a watch anymore because you've, you've heard the movie. You've you heard did. the whole movie. You've you heard know the whole what's movie. happening. Yeah. Um, I want to real quick recommend a, a YouTube channel that Damon and I have been sort of obsessed with, speaking of art and how to properly take care of it. It's called Baumgartner Restoration. Uh, and it's just this man, like, restoring old paintings for clients, and he explains what he's doing and, like, very carefully takes care of these like real old paintings. And the most satisfying thing is he makes these big old Q-tips out of like sticks and, <laughs> and cotton balls and then just like wipes clean like hundreds of years of grime and varnish. And you see these like bright, beautiful paintings emerge from underneath all this like oily brown. And it's so satisfying. <laughs> Everyone should watch it. I oh. bet you 98% of the brown on all those paintings is tobacco. Yes. Like I would agree. Makes me think of there's a pub right near us called Moody's and all of the paintings on the wall, you wouldn't know that they were paintings because they're black. And like, I think if you took several large Q-tips to them, you would discover that they were like very tasteful portraits of like young, like people having a nice time. But you, they look like Dorian Gray. I have a question for you. How drunk do I need to get you at Moody's? And just so you know, the limit for me does not exist. I will slap my credit card down and do it until it's done. <laughs> okay. How say, drunk? You're going to spend like 30 bucks. Like, so I know. That's drink. Do I have to get you to get you in there with normal sized cotton swabs just going at one of the paintings on their walls? <sighs> I think not as drunk as I would hope. Because I feel like I would go up to them and be like, I'm going to do you a favor. You you just sit there. And, like, I don't think they care enough. Oh, I'm sure they don't. And they wouldn't have let them get that way. Right? So I'd be like, excuse me, I'm going to take this off the wall. And immediately after I take it off the wall, the wallpaper behind it will, like, burst into dust because it's never seen, <laughs> like, actual air. <laughs> and then we'll sit at the table and I'll restore a painting real quick and then put it back on the wall. I will tell you this right now. Offers on the table anytime your drinks are on me until you do this at Moody's. Oh, like, right. I need I, to do some chemical analysis of these paintings. That's that's <laughs> that part I won't pay for. But I'm saying if there's ever a night you're like, I'm gonna go take down one of their paintings and got clean it off, but bit I have turpentine. to be drunk to have the courage, you got it. A little Honestly, bit of turpentine, a lot of bit of vodka. You know what you should start with? I will ninety percent of the time. What? Human spit. Really? Yeah. It's Human like it's still? just pH neutral enough that like it doesn't disturb a lot of things, but it gets like a seventy percent of any kind of like. I will say, deal. When you get me I, drunk enough, my spit won't be pH neutral anymore. <laughs> I will say, when I'm trying to clean something and I really just feel like giving up, the last thing you do is you lick your thumb and you just really just go like at it. And rub. nine times out of ten, that that does the trick that the fancy chemical didn't do. Here's what I'm gonna do. Let's set a date sometime in June. I'm gonna save some spit up every day until <laughs> then, and then get me wasted. And I'm gonna throw a jar at the painting. <laughs> I've always wanted to say leave the bottle after I order something, and I will happily do that this time. <laughs> just to watch you drunkenly restore a painting in the middle of Moody's. I think that would be amazing. Film it. Oh, <laughs> I won't remember yeah. it, so film yeah. it. Anyway, anybody have more thoughts about art they'd like to say? Do you want to like go in on a painting? I don't think we could get killed by this podcast, if you get oh, you what mean, I'm like, saying. We're like, I don't know. The rules seem a little vague. I don't know if this is art. 
if this podcast starts, yeah, no, <laughs> this is what we always say uh, when we're doing an improv show. We're like, if you thought it was great, tell all of your friends, and if you didn't like it, it's art. <laughs> if you thought it was funny, we're comedy, and if you didn't, we're art. <laughs> uh, so, depends on your thoughts about how funny we are. Anyway, thanks for listening to Make Believe Money. I've been Liz. I've been Damon. I've been Dan. Uh, as always, thanks to our composer, Charles E. Miller, for her music. Rate us and review us on your podcatcher of choice. Email us your thoughts, feelings, and how much money you're willing to give us out of your $10 million to makebelievemoneypodcast at gmail.com. And we will see you next week. Okay. Bye. Velvet Buzzsaw. That's a bad name. Like, if it meant anything, it would be a fine title. Yeah. But it means nothing. It means nothing. And, like, you're not even given any context for, like, what that tattoo means to her. I think we can agree D's paintings is what it should have been called. Yeah. <laughs> D's paintings, too. <laughs> Those two. <laughs>